Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Yours Lawfully. Yours Lawfully is a podcast brought to you by law and tech students of Queen Mary University of London. Today, we will again be talking about cryptocurrency and the collapse of FTX. The difference is that we have the luck of having Asim Arshad, a senior associate and head of crypto and blockchain team at Macrell Solicitors. Um, so having said that, I hope you enjoy. Thanks, Marcos. Um, so, yeah, as you mentioned, I'm a senior associate at Macro. I am heading up the blockchain and crypto assets team there. Uh, my background is a dispute resolution lawyer. Uh, so a lot of my work uh, today has been in relation to dispute resolution, litigation, arbitration in the crypto and blockchain sector, as well as a, a general commercial context as well. Um, as part of my work in the crypto and blockchain sector, I'm also doing a fair amount of non-contentious work as well. So regulatory compliance advice, uh, token classifications and things like that. Just um, providing regulatory and business advice to businesses looking to operate in this new and exciting area. Thank you for that introduction. It seems really interesting. And um, so going into uh, our, our current topic, um, we know crypto has been around for a while. Um, the Bitcoin white paper, I think, came out in 2009. Uh, we still feel, as we have talked in our previous episode uh, with uh, Shriansh, that uh, the industry is still complex and for a lot of people it's, it's, it remains uh, an unknown topic. Could you briefly explain uh, the, the main aspects and the actors of the, of the sector? So it's a question that could take a series of podcasts in itself. Um, but as a general high-level overview, the crypto sector is primarily concerned with digital assets uh, that are secured and verified using cryptographic techniques. It's a rapidly evolving area, but some of the main aspects of the sector are the cryptocurrencies themselves. So the main ones that you would have heard of, Bitcoin, Ether, um, those are the main ones that most people have heard of, either in passing or they're familiar with. Um, but there are tens of thousands of other cryptocurrencies out there, each with their own features and supposed use cases. Another main aspect of the sector is blockchain technology, uh, which is the foundation of the sector. Simply put, it's a form of distributed ledger technology that allows for transactions to take place without needing an intermediary, for example, a bank. Which neatly brings me on to the other aspect of the sector, which is decentralization. So one of the key features of blockchain technology is its decentralization. So blockchains are maintained by a network of fluctuating users rather than a centralized body. So uh, in a decentralized blockchain, all nodes of the network have a copy of the blockchain uh, and can participate in the verification and adding of transactions by way of blocks to the blockchain. That way it's not vulnerable to a single point of failure and there's no need for a central intermediary to validate authorized transactions. As to the main actors of the sector, you have the users themselves, people like yourself and me. Um, so individual entities that use crypto assets to conduct businesses, transact, to trade, to hold. You have developers. Um, they you know, may maintain and design blockchain protocols. Uh, they may build decentralized apps, uh, develop smart contracts or things like software wallets. Um, then you have the miners or the uh, validators and proof-of-stake blockchains uh, who verify 
transactions and add new blocks to the blockchain in return for transaction fees uh, and and a newly created crypto asset. Um, we also have exchanges, which are platforms that allow for the buying, selling, uh, and trading of crypto assets. Uh, most exchanges also offer like you know services for users, such as they'll have a, a custodial wallet service. Uh, some exchanges offer offer things like staking or lending. Um, and increasingly, we're seeing um, we're seeing other bodies like regulators stepping up and uh, being actors in the space. Uh, so these are typically um, organizations that are looking to see how the sector can be regulated. Thank you. Thank you very much for, for clarifying on this um, specific uh, question. And uh, is, there, is there a legal definition of them? Uh, for example, are they securities or how? Uh, what's the general perception? Well, I think that's a question that academics could talk about for days and days. But as it stands, there's no single universally accepted legal definition of what a crypto asset is. And so the legal definition can vary depending on where you are in the world. In the UK, our definition uh, is set out in the Financial Services and Markets Bill that is currently going through Parliament. And it's an intentionally broad definition. Uh, and I'll quote it. Uh, it you know, it's a, a broad definition that captures any cryptographically secured digital representation of value or contractual rights that can be transferred, stored, or traded electronically and that uses technology supporting the recording or storage of data, including distributed ledger technology. So with that broad definition in mind, a crypto asset could indeed be a security or a commodity or both or neither or one or the other at different times. Um, the classification of a crypto asset will very much depend on its specific characteristics and features. All right. Um, I guess this is a part of why it is so complicated to... 100%. Yeah. Um, so moving uh, towards more FTX-related uh, questions and, and what happened, um, we've already discussed with, with uh, Sri Anj in the previous episode also uh, that there were um, a lot of, of well, the, 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 actually the CEO of, of uh, the court-appointed CEO now, uh, uh, John Ray III of the FTX Collapse, has, has uh, talked about he ne never seeing uh, such a complete uh, failure of, of corporate controls and such a complete absence of trustworthy financial information as occurred in FTX. Um, could you maybe uh, explain what were the main legal irregularities behind, the, uh, behind this? Sure, so there were a number of irregularities. I think quite obviously, there was a complete lack of transparency, first and foremost. FTX was not transparent about its financial situation. It did not disclose the extent of Alameda's trading losses. Alameda uh, was a trading firm which was set up by Sam Bankman-Fried, that was also the CEO of FTX. Um, and it didn't disclose what, that it was using FTX's customer funds to prop up the losses from Alameda. Um, so the main thing is there was, there was a big relationship issue between FTX and Alameda, which was a massive irregularity. Um, also worth noting that Alameda was a major customer of FTX, as well as being a shareholder in FTX. Um, and I also think the inexperienced leadership at FTX was also a major irregularity. You know, at its height, FTX was valued at over 30 billion. Um, it had over a million user accounts. Um, so the company 
was essentially founded and being run by a group of young entrepreneurs who had no real experience running a large financial institution. Uh, and so it's not surprising with that in the backdrop that there was poor risk management, poor financial controls, inadequate leadership, uh, inadequate, you know, it was inadequate across the board, really. So, yeah, I, I think this is also related to the, the failure of due diligence. Um, so, so some, some experts have stated uh, that if there are uh, regulatory oversight um, that applies to traditional equity markets were in effect, the relationship between the two companies, Alameda and FTX, uh, would not have been allowed. Uh, do, do you agree with, with them? Um, yeah, I think there's merit in that argument. For sure. Um, one of the main things I was touching on previously was one of the main issues was the conflict of interest brought around by this very unusual and very close relationship between FTX and Alameda. Um, so it's you know clear there would have been conflicts of interest there. Um, I think traditional market regulation would probably not have allowed for such an intertwined relationship between the two entities, not without sufficient safeguards at least. And where, where, where do you think uh, regulation might have helped? Uh, well, I think disclosure requirements to start. Uh, traditional equity market regulations have disclosure requirements, uh, which would include things like their financial standing, ownership structure, uh, relationships with other companies. Uh, that would have been very, you know, very applicable to the FTX situation. Um, so, you know, it would have been... if they applied, FTX would likely have been required to disclose the extent of its relationship with Alameda uh, or be required to impose controls to ring fence or stop kind of any potential conflicts of interest or identify them. Um, also, we have kind of insider trading laws in the traditional equity markets, which would prevent the buying or selling based on non-public information. So because of the close relationship between Alameda and FTX, it's quite likely that Alameda had access to information about FTX that was not in the public domain. Uh, and it would have been illegal for Alameda to conduct trades based on that information. Um, traditional equity regulations also have uh, audit requirements. So if FTX had been subject to these, it would have been required to have its financial statements independently audited. Uh, that would have increased transparency for sure. Uh, I think one of the big issues with FTX is that they weren't transparent about their financial situation and how deep in they were propping up Alameda's trading losses. Um, you know, essentially the main cause of the collapse was a liquidity crisis. Uh, traditional regulation imposed capital requirements to ensure there is some financial resilience to meet a demand. Now. I have a view, and, and, and the view that I have is that FTX was an exchange. Uh, it should have been operating as an exchange uh, and profiting off the exchange fees. What FTX were actually doing was lending out customer funds, acting kind of like a fractional reserve bank, only without the appropriate license or without the regulatory compliance. Uh, so when all these users started making withdrawal requests, it was around six billion in a matter of days, the withdrawal requests going in, it simply didn't have the reserves there. So, you know, Although, you know, regulation may have helped, I'll also point out that it's also very possible that regulation would not have prevented the collapse entirely. Uh, we've got examples in the past, if you look at the Lehman Brothers, they were completely regulated, uh, but they still collapsed in spectacular fashion in 2008. 
those are really good points you you make uh, and uh, so going into the dispute resolution and th this is uh, probably your your uh, strongest um, um, yeah background in uh, correct me if I'm wrong sure. uh, um, what are what your your thoughts on the probably uh, probability of asset recovery for for the affected customers well in the ideal world I would love nothing more than to see all the customers of FDX be made whole again um, I think the reality of the situation is unfortunately going to be much more bitter than that it's important to keep in mind that FDX had quite an intricate corporate group structure and it included entities uh, across the globe and some of these entities remain solvent uh, so for customers that had their contractual relationship with those solvent entities within the group there is a possibility they will get their funds back if and it's a big if the assets that are supposed to be held by those entities still remain with them for customers that had their contractual relationship with FTX.com, for example, which was the global exchange, uh, the liquidators had secured some assets, I think around $5 billion when I when I last checked, $5 billion. Uh, but we also have to keep in mind that those funds are being spent as we speak. It's common knowledge they spent around $4 million with Sullivan and Cromwell in relation to the liquidation process. And funds are being spent to move that process along, and it's, it's a costly process. So with that in mind, any funds that are secured and not spent in the process will be divided between a very large group of creditors. So I think if there is going to be a recovery of funds for affected customers, it would likely be pennies to the pound or cents to the dollar rather. Bearing this in mind, uh, what are the legal remedies that uh, do you think are suitable for, for maybe affected customers to pursue? Even though if, the, if it's pennies... Uh... Sure. Well, I think there were a number of possible claims and remedies that FTX users would have had. Uh, I think there are obvious claims of negligence in FTX's handling of customer assets. I think there are also claims for breach of contract. Their actions seem to show they were in breach of their own terms of service uh, and they misused user funds. Uh, leading on from that, I also think there are potential claims for breach of trust. Uh, but as we know, FTX and a number of its related entities uh, filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection in the States. Uh, and so the effect of this is that the claims against these entities would likely be suspended in favor of the insolvency process. So I think for now, users will just need to file their claim with Crow, who are the appointed restructuring administration firm, and just keep an eye on the ongoing bankruptcy. All right. Looking forward, because uh, this has has this event has sent a, a shockwave through the crypto industry, um, and we are also seeing it in the traditional financial sector uh, with the latest uh, news. Um, in what ways can customers protect themselves from another FTX uh, collapse? Sure. Well, that's a difficult question because we have to accept we're talking about a space here where there is a great deal of uncertainty, particularly in relation to, to the regulations that should apply. Um, also a space which in a way promotes a culture of financial Darwinism. Um, I think when using exchanges, 
there's a certain there's certainly an element of trust that individuals willingly send their funds to these exchanges that often we know so little about i mean uh, issuing proceedings against uh, an exchange finding the correct address in itself is, is a task um there's some exchanges that we just know so little about uh, where they are who runs them what's their structure um I think that's inherent in the space and there is an element that users are at the mercy of these exchanges in some regard. We trust them to do what they say on the tin. Let us trade our crypto assets. They profit from the transaction fees. And when we want our assets back, they're sent back to us. Um, I suppose one of the main ways customers can protect themselves is to do their own research, uh, due diligence on exchanges that they will be using. But even then, if we look at FTX, we take the FTX example, they were a massively reputable exchange. Uh, I think it's easy to forget how big they were. They spent a lot of time fostering a very good image for themselves, partly attributable to the altruistic character story of Sam Bankman-Fried, and also partly down to their global ambassadors, who were the who's who of the earliest world. You've got Tom Brady, Steph Curry, Shaq, Giselle. You know, the fact that I didn't I need to mention the last two surnames show you that they were really going for the A-list, you know, yeah. very famous people. Um, you know, then if you're into basketball, they, the FTX, uh, FTX arena. arena. Yeah, the home of the, of the Heat. Yeah. Um, so that's like having Old Trafford, for example, is yeah. huge. Um, so it's clear that FTX spent a lot in putting forward this reputable image in its marketing strategy. So I think the best way customers can protect themselves from another exchange collapse is to learn about the crypto space, learn about self-custodial wallets, learn about hardware wallets. One of the things that's often said about crypto is the ability to be your own bank. So take responsibility for how and where you hold your assets, how and where you hold your private keys. If you're going to keep funds with an exchange for any considerable amount of time, only do so with what you can afford to lose. That's really, really good. And, um... What modifications are required for, for regulated entities when they engage with cryptocurrency? I think to address the unique characteristics, risks and challenges associated with crypto assets, a number of modifications to existing practices and systems would be required. I think quite obviously, security and cyber threat modifications, we're talking about an asset that exists purely in the digital world. So appropriate measures must be put in place. Um, also, owing to the decentralized and pseudonymous nature of crypto assets, uh, there would need to be some modifications to the KYC and AML procedures um, and, and the risk management procedures. Um, you know, it's inherently a volatile sector. Um, there's a lot, a lot of risk coming from that. So you, know, you would need to update and change the risk management procedures. I think tying it all together would be a modification to staff training to ensure that the workforce within the regulated entity understands the sector and the assets that they're dealing with. Uh, and obviously regulatory compliance would also be a big consideration for regulated entities dealing with crypto assets. Um, and they would need to make sure that their compliance procedures and protocol are kept up to date in line with the evolving regulatory landscape applicable to the sector. Really clear. Uh, thank you, Asim. And um, do you think the uh, decentralized uh, finance technology can be a good an alternative to avoiding a similar event in the in the crypto industry. See, I, I really like that question. I really, when I read, read that, I really like that question because I think they have the potential to address some of the risks. Certainly, 
decentralized finance platforms which are truly decentralized would certainly be more transparent which could make them less susceptible to mismanagement and fraud which were you know well certainly in the element of looking at how, it was, how the FTX was conducted and managed you know it probably would have assisted in addressing those risks um, but DeFi may also introduce its own risks as well its own risks its own challenges uh, for example smart contracts that DeFi platforms rely on could have vulnerabilities, could have errors, could be exploited. So I think it's really got to be kind of a balancing act. Because I've, I've heard, um, I don't know if I'm, I'm, I'm correct, but I've heard that uh, there have been some hack hackings on uh, DeFi uh, exchanges and the, 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 the detractors of, of DeFi said that in 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 the end they were weren't really defi because the exchange could go back yeah. and uh re like uh get back the assets uh, exactly exactly and you know i think we're still we're still tussling with this aspect of what is truly decentralized and you know we have an interesting case that's being heard in the high court in london the tulip trading case um and that's been granted permission to appeal and one of the main aspects I think that's going to be heard in that case is going to be what makes it truly decentralized. Um, I think we'll have a lot more clarity on that once we hear what happens there. For sure. Um, I think we're just uh, in, the, in the beginning of this. Uh, I, I, I remember seeing um, some, some kind of information that said that uh, we are at the point of if in the crypto industry if we take it back if we compare it with the with the internet uh, we're just like in the early 90s of so we're yeah. probably gonna see so much things uh, in the future I think so yeah I think so and just uh, a final question what what do you think um, the world needs to to learn from from this uh... if I were to distill one take-home lesson from the FTX saga uh, I'd have to echo what I said before, which is do your own research, be aware of the risks, understand that if you're holding crypto assets with an exchange's custodial wallet, no matter how reputable they may seem, um, how big they are, they may seem too big to fail, um, they can, we've seen it happen. And you do not have those private keys to the exchange's custodial wallet. And there's often a repeated phrase in crypto, which is not your keys, not your coin, All right? So unless you have a compelling reason to hold substantial funds uh, with an exchange, and I can think of so few, then you really should consider keeping custody of your own assets. Cold wallets. Yeah. <laughs> all right, uh, Asim, I think that's uh, all for today. Uh, thank you so much for, for being here. Uh, I know you're a busy man and it has been really interesting i've surely learned a lot um and i uh, hope to see you again soon sometime thank you so much for having me Pleasure to be here.